pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Do women experience more pain than men? Is pain more severe in women? Or are women just overly emotional about their pain? Importantly, do gender differences in how pain is expressed affect quality of care? And how about the sex hormones, estrogen and testosterone? Does one promote pain and the other protect against it? The findings from the scientific research may surprise you, and our guests will definitely uncover a lot about sexual differences in pain. Our first guest is Jennifer Bolin. She's an attorney and founder of the legal side of pain. Jennifer's own battle with chronic pain has given her firsthand knowledge of gender disparities in the medical system. She joins us once again to share her personal experience with navigating through these disparities and what she's found successful. Then Dr. Roger Fillingham, director of the University of Florida Pain Research and Intervention Center, joins us. He'll reveal what's really known about the prevalence of pain in women, details about sexual differences in pain, and what the future holds for gender-specific therapies. Aches and Gains is supported by Nevro, St. Jude Medical, Bioness, Boston Scientific, and Nuvectra. For cutting-edge treatments and ways to manage pain, please sign up for weekly emails at paulchristomd.com. Jennifer Bolin specializes in developing risk management programs for the use of controlled substances to treat pain. She's a sought-after speaker at national pain meetings and serves on the editorial board for professional medical journals. Jennifer, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Hey, great to be here, and I really look forward to our conversation. On our last show... You shared uh, how your own struggle with pain influenced you professionally and personally, that you wished the pain specialist had offered you pain-relieving medicines such as antidepressants and anticonvulsants before offering you opioids. And because women are typically more comfortable talking about their pain, that act of expression probably results in additional pain relief compared to men. Now, in general, women express their pain more emotionally than men. This can lead to being labeled, though, as a problem patient, that is, more needy and displaying more psychological symptoms. Did you experience that? You know, I didn't, but I have seen it happen, Mm -hmm. sitting in, you know, waiting rooms, listening to patients talk, watching patients interact with office staff, and I've heard providers talk that way about some female patients. Mm -hmm. They're catastrophizing. They're just seeking the opioids. They're so emotional. They can't describe their pain. And I'm like, in the end, it may be true that this person is a challenge as a patient, but let's get past all of the emotional component from both sides and let's really look 
and what you wrote down about this person's situation. Mm-hmm. That's your job to do that. And you can't do it if you've already prejudged this person. And right. I've had a conversation like that with one or two providers in the time that I've worked in this field. You know, I believe it does happen. Mm-hmm. And you've brought up a good point catastrophize. Now, catastrophize is the magnification of pain symptoms and considering, for example, all the worst case scenarios. The evidence shows that women catastrophize more often than men. And when this happens, it often causes doctors to minimize the actual pain experience, which is disheartening for the patient. Do you feel then, Jennifer, that female patients should try to control any catastrophizing or should doctors be more aware and supportive? I think that there should be an awareness to the fact that what may be perceived as catastrophizing might actually be a result of people in that woman's life not recognizing that there's an issue Mm -hmm. with pain. And I've done this myself. You want to be heard. You want to engage. You want to have a conversation. And you may not be the very best at expressing yourself because of how much the issue you want to talk about impacts your life. Mm-hmm. But I really think that most people just want to be heard, and it may take a while longer for a woman to really try to explain that because they have to also explain their feelings. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and let's delve into the emotional expression of pain a bit more because it seems like certainly expression of pain emotionally is more socially acceptable for women than men, crying, for instance, and that it starts young. We want boys to stop crying when they're upset or hurt, for example. Do you feel that American culture has shaped the way you and other women respond to pain? Yeah, I would say that's the case. The stoicism that you see in, in like, my husband's age group, he's nine years older than I am. Mm -hmm. You know, he's much more stoic than I am about it. And yet I can look backward on my son, who also suffers from pain. One of them is is an Iraqi war veteran and, you know, has had six, seven surgeries and has PTSD. Yeah, I've seen him cry, and I've seen him cry in front of his male friends, in front of female friends, and in front of me. You know, that's no slight to his manhood. It's him being able to express his true pain. So it it has been used against women, and it has been used against men, uh, and in the end, our society is really what has done that, and, and I think some of that is changing, and I hope it is. Yeah, I agree. I think it is changing. You know, women experience fluctuations in their response to pain at different points in the menstrual cycle when estrogen levels rise and then fall dramatically. Right. I mean, for example, I have some patients who say that their irritable bowel syndrome or their headache changes over the course of their cycle. Jennifer, have you noticed whether there is a connection between your pain and your menstrual cycle? I don't have one anymore and I haven't had one for many years. I can think back to beforehand and I think that contributed to an overall body pain and kind of that overall feeling of just, oh, I can't do it today. Mm -hmm. It wasn't me giving up. It was truly the feeling that I had because I had this additional pain on top of it. And I know women that have that without the additional pain. So, you know, that's what a woman's body is. Uh, You know, the pain is even different past menopause. You know, it's a different psychological game. You have to play with yourself (laughs) to work around that Mm -hmm. when you don't get good sleep uh, with with hot flashes and things like that. That makes the pain worse the next day. Uh, Sleep is so important to feeling the best you can or equipping your body the best you can for dealing with the pain that you have throughout the day. Yeah, sleep is really important, as a matter of fact. Now, Jennifer, at that time, 
During your menstrual cycle, did you feel as though your low back pain, for instance, worsened? Yes, I would feel like my whole body was a bloated tire, and it just hurt. Yeah, I mean, that's what my patients say. But Jennifer, overall, which treatments have provided the most relief for you? I don't drink Diet Coke really anymore. I'll have an occasional one, but I drink mostly water. Mm -hmm. I'm paying more attention to my diet plus medical treatment I'm receiving. Well, Now, which medical treatments? Um, For example, I know that you had SI or sacroiliac joint injections. I have. I've had uh, SI joint injections, uh, and those were very helpful to me. Um, I've had acupuncture. Mm -hmm. That has helped quite a bit. I used to have some really bad migraines, and I had acupuncture to help treat that, but I've also had acupuncture throughout the body to help with the back pain. Mm-hmm. Yoga moves, not pretty, but it works. <laughs> I've tried things like putting a lift in one of my shoes because I've been told I have one leg that's longer than another and that contributes to some of my hip pain. Mm-hmm. How about some of the integrative therapies like music or aromatherapy? I love music, so it, it doesn't really matter what kind. It's a beat that helps me you know, uplift my spirit. So for a while, it takes away that significant pain. It allows me to get from point A to point B and when I get there, I usually feel refreshed. Mm-hmm. The aromatherapy would help me sleep. You know, I, I keep some oil by the bedside and put a little bit on a cotton pad or something like that if I'm having a particularly hard time going to sleep, and, and it helps relax me. Mm-hmm. I have a little kit that I've carried in the airport that has different smells in it, and I've used that. I put a little bit on a pulse point yeah. uh, and inhaled it on a plane. I even have a wristband that I wear that carries different aromas in it that can help, and it's delivering kind of a continuous smell. It might not help everybody, but again, nobody knows unless they really try it. They really do need to try it. And by the way, I discuss acupuncture, aromatherapy, and music therapy to a greater extent in my book called Aches and Gains. I think you'd really find it helpful. And finally, what should women in pain do to maximize their chances for getting needed pain relief and reducing the gender bias? That's a really good question. Um, Educate yourself. Take some time to maybe write your thoughts down so that you can get the emotions out in a different way so that when you talk with your provider, even though you may use some language that has emotion behind it, you are trying to point out the physical, the mental component and the behavioral component of your pain Mm -hmm. and maybe soften the emotional approach until you get to a point with your provider where you guys can communicate well. And I think that it helps a woman speak up. Absolutely. Jennifer, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Paul. I really appreciate being invited. And um, I I like the questions. They're they're intriguing. I'm going to think more about them. (laughs) Don't go away. Because up next is Dr. Roger Fillingham, Distinguished Professor at the University of Florida. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Nevro, the global leader in evidence-based and drug-free chronic pain technologies. We are here to help patients get back their independence. Bioness, a leading provider of solution-driven medical devices and rehabilitation technologies that provide functional and therapeutic benefits for individuals affected by pain and central nervous system disorders. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter at Dr. Paul Christo and like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. 
Dr. Roger Fillingham is a distinguished professor at the University of Florida. He served as president of the American Pain Society and maintains active research programs on studies of sex, ethnic, and age-related differences in the pain experience. Dr. Fillingham, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Oh, thank you very much. Last time, we, we said that the prevalence of pain is higher in women, and in fact, worldwide, women experience more neuropathic pain, osteoarthritic pain, and musculoskeletal pain, and back pain, actually. We also talked about the fact that in experimental studies, that men seem to tolerate more experimental pain than women, and on the other hand, that women derive more pain relief from opioids in experimental studies than men do. You know, some have felt that women are at risk for under-treatment of pain. Is that a myth or is it real? Well, there are studies to show that there may be a bias against providing pain medications to women. There is a risk of providers failing to acknowledge the validity of pain conditions. Mm -hmm. Fibromyalgia, for example, comes to mind. And I can certainly find colleagues who still, in air quotes, don't believe in fibromyalgia, whatever that might mean. Mm -hmm. And because women happen to be at greater risk for many of these pain conditions, they're at risk of being labeled as not having a legitimate pain condition simply because we have such a poor understanding of these pain conditions as a field. Exactly. I mean, it's more complicated than just the gender of the patient. It relates to characteristics of the physician or healthcare provider or even the condition being treated. Now let's delve into some of the biological mechanisms. For example, the sex hormones and their receptors are located on nerves, I mean, that is in the peripheral and central nervous systems, and specifically in areas where pain is transmitted. So, Dr. Fillingham, how do the female sex hormones, that is estrogen and progesterone, affect pain? There are effects of estrogen that can enhance pain transmission, including the effects of estrogen on peripheral afferents, mm-hmm. increasing excitability of peripheral afferents. Mm-hmm. Estrogens can promote inflammation, and of course, inflammation can both peripherally and centrally drive increased pain transmission. On the other hand, estrogens can also be anti-inflammatory, depending on their doses and on what receptors they're activating. Uh, This certainly changes within people over time, but it could be an individual difference characteristic that determines whether you are an estrogen pain promoter or a an estrogen pain reducer. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned something interesting there, and that was peripheral afferents. Those refer to nerve fibers that transmit pain. I think also the data show that progesterone, similar to estrogen, can both enhance pain transmission and also block pain transmission. Now, Roger, are women more sensitive to pain during a particular part of the menstrual cycle? Well, the data would suggest that women are more sensitive to pain during the premenstrual and perhaps during the menstrual phase uh, compared to the postmenstrual phase. But those effects 
in people are really quite small, mm-hmm. and they're somewhat inconsistent. So there's not a huge uh, menstrual cycle influence on pain sensitivity. That's intriguing because I feel like a lot of my female patients would disagree with that and feel like, gosh, their pain really increases during their menstrual cycles. At the same time, do women experience fluctuations in their response to pain at different points in the menstrual cycle when estrogen levels rise and then fall dramatically? Sure, yes. Some people have surmised that it might be estrogen withdrawal that's the culprit in making women more sensitive. Um, And there's at least some evidence from both migraine uh, and temporomandibular disorders that during pregnancy, clinical pain decreases. And then after birth, the pain goes back to its original levels. And some people believe it's, again, that estrogen withdrawal that prompts the increase in pain. Right. In that case, for example, estrogen levels start out high and then after birth, they fall. Along with that, when we look at the pain-relieving receptors in the brain called the mu opioid receptors, one study in women found that high estrogen levels made women less sensitive to pain and seemed to facilitate the binding of opioids to those particular receptors in the brain. We'll get Dr. Phil and Jim's take on that right after the break. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. Be sure to look for the exclusive release of Dr. Paul Christo's new book, Aches and Gains. You'll get cutting-edge information on understanding pain, traditional and innovative treatments, and an exciting array of integrative therapies. You'll also get personal accounts of celebrities in their battle to overcome pain. Get your copy on Amazon this fall. Remember, no one is immune to pain, but together we can overcome it. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. I mentioned a study that found that women with high estrogen levels were less sensitive to pain. Yes, they were giving estrogen and it made the myopioid receptor pain control system work more effectively in women. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those examples where (laughs) estrogen was actually promoting pain inhibition rather than uh, pain facilitation. Estrogen's effects seem very complicated then on the pain control system. Yeah, yeah. Estrogen has complex bi-directional effects on pain processing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I don't think we're in a position where we can suggest either increasing estrogen to control pain or decreasing estrogen to control pain. We need to understand the nuances of the system a little better than we do. It is nuanced. And before I forget, what about the effects of testosterone? Well, testosterone seems to promote pain inhibition. And there's a modest link in human studies between higher testosterone levels and lower pain sensitivity. Now, Roger, let's move on to pain coping strategies. 
Women tend to use more social supports and emotion-focused techniques, whereas men typically use more problem-focused tactics to manage pain. Generally, which are more effective strategies? As long as strategies uh, are active and directed toward positive coping with the pain, I think emotion-focused coping and sort of problem-focused coping could be equally effective. Yes, and if we look at the brains of men and women using PET scans, which are imaging tests that measure things like blood flow and oxygen use, one study showed that pain processing in women's brains occurs more actively in the limbic system, which is the area that processes emotions, while men's occurs in more cognitive and analytic areas. So, Roger, is this why we see women express pain in more emotional terms? Yeah, that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. That may very well be the case that the emotional brain may be a particularly important part of pain perception for women. Mm -hmm. And that may be why pain could be described as experienced in those terms. But it also may be why things like emotion-focused coping might be particularly helpful for women. Exactly. And now let's look at environmental stressors. I mean, for example, childhood abuse seems to lead to adult chronic pain. What else do we know about that? Clinically, we know that people who have chronic pain today, when asked, will more frequently tell you that they have had previous uh, instances of abuse compared to uh, people who don't have chronic pain. Mm -hmm. So there's been physical abuse, sexual abuse, um, and more sort of psychological abuse. And then, Roger, before we close, what does the future hold for gender-specific pain therapies? When we think about the process of therapeutic development that typically starts in a preclinical laboratory and then moves all the way up into humans, Mm -hmm. because our history in science has been of studying only male animals, what if you started with male and female animals and you were studying neuropathic pain and you saw two different pathways coming out. There's a female pathway and a male pathway. Well, that could lead to the development of sex-specific therapeutics, but because that's so new, we really haven't gotten to the point where we identify a clear pathophysiology that demands different treatments for women versus men. Right. But one thing we can do if we move it more into the clinic is start thinking about whether women and men have different goals for treatment. Mm -hmm. We try to produce successful treatments that will meet patients' goals. And there has been one study where they asked women and men, what are their goals for rehabilitation for pain? And women and men tended to report somewhat different things. And so if we're going to develop treatments or administer treatments to meet patient goals, we need to understand what those goals are. Mm -hmm. And so tailoring treatments and developing sex-specific treatments isn't just about sort of pharmacology and pathophysiology. It's about understanding what patients need and what kinds of treatments they find most palatable and then delivering the therapies that seem to fit the patient's needs most effectively. Very true. And before we close... 
What's important to remember about women and pain? We need to understand our patients holistically and understand all the aspects uh, that they bring to their pain condition that could be influencing the severity of their pain and the disability they experience with their pain, but also could be influencing their responses to treatment. Mm -hmm. So sex is among the many factors we need to consider uh, in order to really deliver patient-centered therapy. And then finally, I would say that we need to make sure we check our biases at the door, and we all have them. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not whether or not we have them, it's whether or not we acknowledge them and and prevent them from interfering with our interactions with patients. Right. Come in with a basic assumption that whatever the patient is telling me is legitimate, and it's my job to try to figure it out uh, and help them manage their pain and improve their quality. Of life. And I think if we do that for women who are far more frequent treatment seekers in the pain setting, I think we'll provide better care uh, and provide more effective outcomes. I agree wholeheartedly, and I hope that we don't wait too long before we apply these suggestions to the clinical care of women. Dr. Fillingham, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Well, thanks very much to you. And thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The view and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show.